0: Our scripture tonight is Psalm 92 in its entirety. Psalm 92, hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, And when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word tonight, I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts, that we would know with sure confidence that All of the blessings that we have are from you and that we would know how we ought to give thanks to you and that we would give thanks to you in all we do with all our works and with all our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanksgiving is a very special time of the year. It is in an age of fracture and divisions and attempts to revise and politicize everything and strip religion out of anything in our culture. One of the few days, one of the few celebrations that all of America generally still agrees with, I've heard Thanksgiving described as the most American holiday. It's still the one that pretty much everybody across the board seems to celebrate and see as a good thing. What is fascinating about this still relative unity surrounding thanksgiving is that this whole concept of thanksgiving requires an object. One cannot merely give thanks into the void. To be thankful means to recognize one's having received favor from someone else. For a secularizing nation in a secular age to still believe that thanksgiving is a thing that it matters, it shows that try as man might, he can't really shake the knowledge of God completely. We still have his imprints on our hearts and our very nature. Even those who are the most hardened atheists who would shake their fists against God still feel the urge, still feel the inclination to be thankful to someone for something that we have this recognition that we have received good gifts, grace and favor from another. Well, Psalm 92 is a psalm of thanksgiving. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know exactly why, what prompted it. It doesn't have that information for us or what events led to it. But what it does record for us is just a few of the reasons and a few of the ways that we ought to be thankful to our God. Now, it is somewhat ironic that this was given as a song for the Sabbath day, as the heading says, and we are looking at it on a Wednesday night, but the principles of it still hold true. All of our worship and all of our lives are a sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving to God for what he has done for us. And so we will look at this psalmist's thankfulness tonight in three points. First, it is a voiced thankfulness. We see this in verses 1 through 4. Thanks is given publicly, out loud, in our praise and worship to God. Second, we see that it is a victorious thankfulness in verses 5 through 9. We see the psalmist expressing thankfulness that God subdues his and our enemies. And third and finally, we see a vindicated thankfulness in verses 10 through 15. We see that God's people are vindicated, are validated are proven right in their love and service for God. So again, voiced thankfulness, victorious thankfulness, and vindicated thankfulness. So first we see voiced thankfulness in verses 1 through 4. The psalm opens with the purpose why we are here this evening. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. But correlated to that giving of thanks is the singing of phrases. It is no accident... That we gather together in worship to, among other things, give thanks to God for all that he has done, his works of creation, providence, preservation, and most of all, his salvation. We see that this thankfulness and praise should be regular. This psalm is a song for the Sabbath, and among other things, that this text teaches us the importance and centrality of worship for all of the Sabbath day. Why, for instance, we have evening worship on Sundays. Uh, The word every, while it appears here in the New King James, modifying night, isn't really in the Hebrew text. The text merely says at night. This psalm for the Sabbath was talking about a full day of worship, describing worship by music on all the different instruments and the ways that thankfulness would be declared in song. But that is not the only time and place for such thanksgiving. James Montgomery Boyce commenting on this psalm, he notes that the Masoretes, so they were a Jewish group, they were the ones who preserved the Hebrew text of the Bible that we have. They had a daily rotation of the psalms each day of the week. They had a different psalm. So this was the psalm, being the song for the Sabbath, that they would read on Saturdays, the Jewish Sabbath, and then there were others for other days, so... They were engaging in these acts of worship, these acts of thankfulness every day. Our thanksgiving and worship of God are not merely done in the corporate assembly on Sundays, but all throughout the week, in all that we do, in our homes, in our lives, we should always be giving thanks to God. This is part of why we have sort of baked into us the age-old practice of, for instance, you pray before meals, recognizing that, not just the big Thanksgiving feast that we just had, but all of our food and all of our basic provision is a gift from God's hand. We see this idea summarized for us well in verse 4. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. This is the heart of thankfulness. It is recognizing that what we have, what we accomplish, what we gain, does not come from ourselves, but from God's work and from God's hands. Without him, we could do nothing. Without him, we would have nothing. Without him, there would be nothing for us but sin and death and destruction. But because of God's love for us, we triumph in the works of his hands. And we should regularly remember this, reflect on this, declare this, not just at this time of thanksgiving, but all the time, all throughout the year. Every time we come to worship, every time we come to God in prayer in our lives and during our weeks, we should remember this and we should be thankful to our God. But after this voiced thanksgiving, we come to our second point, a victorious thanksgiving. In verse 5, the psalmist turns to reflect on God's great works in detail. He offers praises that at first sound pretty general. O oh Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. Then the psalmist begins to make some distinctions. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. What is the position of those who are not thankful to God? To fail to acknowledge God, to fail to be thankful to Him, since all that we are and all that we have is His, Is it's folly, it's foolish, it is a failure. And to put oneself in such a position is to be at enmity with God, to be in opposition to God. And what happens to those who are in opposition to God? We see this in verse 7. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. So from this, we glean some important truths. First, it may appear for a time that the wicked, those who are in opposition to God, may triumph for a while. But this is a double-edged reminder. To those who are the wicked, it is a warning. It is a call to repentance. Just because they're getting away with it for now, just because they're triumphing for a time, thinking they're getting away with it, that does not mean that this will continue forever. God's judgment and justice will certainly fall on those who rebel against him, who will not have him as Lord and God. But to God's people, who are often besieged and oppressed and opposed by these wicked, these are words of comfort, of hope, of reassurance. Though things may not go well for us in this life, Though we may face opposition and trials and struggles, though the truth of God is opposed and oppressed and silenced at every turn, there is coming a day where God will have the last word. Like grass that springs up in the spring and turns green and is alive and thick, but by fall and winter, as we can see when we look outside now, is dead and gone, cut up, eaten, decaying. Those who think that they will triumph apart from God will find themselves swept away and destroyed. Verse 8 asserts God's ultimate lordship. But you, O Lord, are on high forevermore. The doers of evil may triumph for a day, for a season, but our God triumphs forever. We have read the end of the book. We know how the story ends. Verse 9 reminds us, the enemies of the Lord shall perish. They shall be scattered as a defeated army. There is no hope for them. Now, perhaps this idea of giving thanks to God for the conquest of his enemies might be a little uncomfortable for us. We, We don't like to think about death and destruction and condemnation. But it is true, it is what God has revealed to us that he will do. For his glory. And even this is something for which we can and should be thankful to God. While we want people to repent and come to know Christ in this life, as many as possible, as many as God has called, we also recognize that it is a great and glorious thing that one day God will destroy his and our enemies. He will cast them into eternal judgments. And we can give thanks to our God. For his ultimate victory. And this leads us to our final point. After a voiced and victorious thanksgiving, we come to a vindicated thanksgiving. In verses 10 through 15. Because God will be victorious and triumphant over his enemies, those that are with him, those who are united to him and share in his cause, will also themselves be triumphant. Though we may suffer loss and grief and need in this life, ultimately we will prevail through God who strengthens us. Verse 10 finds the psalmist rejoicing that his horn has been exalted. His strength has been blessed and prospered by God. Whatever we do, though we may often think that we succeed under our own strength, it is all a gift from God. Our strength is His strength. Is on loan from him, essentially. In verse 11, the psalmist sees and hears his enemies. He knows that they are there. He knows what they are up to. But he is not afraid. He's not despairing. He's not defeated because he knows that God is just and will ultimately have his way. Those who rise up against God's people, they might seem victorious for a time, but ultimately they will not. Prevail. God's people will be delivered while his enemies are destroyed. Verse 12 talks about the righteous flourishing like trees, like healthy, strong, long-lasting things. The cedars of Lebanon, as the text says, they were they were world-famous trees. They were the best of the best trees. They were the ones, for instance, that when they were building the temple in Jerusalem when King Solomon was undertaking that. These were the trees that were brought down and used in the temple. Not only were they good trees, they were old trees. They were solid. They were rooted. They were well-established. Those who belong to God shall be fruitful. Verses 13 and 14 talk about them flourishing, thriving, having abundance in their life. They will still bear fruit in an old age. Now there is a sense, which this is true in this life, but... Not always. I mean, life is sometimes hard. We do face lack. We do face struggle in this life. This hope of fruit in old age, it is actually something that transcends this life. Because we will be alive and we will be thriving after this life, after death in the life to come. And this, more than anything else, is something for which we can be thankful Finally, in verse 15, we see that the righteous declare that the Lord is upright. He is our rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. But a question here may arise. You may ask yourself, well, am I righteous? See, a problem we have is that we are all fallen and sinful people. Though we strive for doing right, we cannot and never have done it perfectly. So from where can we find righteousness? The only true righteousness that we can receive is the righteousness of Christ that comes in the gospel. He became our sin, who knew no sin, that we might become God's righteousness. And it is because of Christ's work that the ultimate distinction between God's righteous and God's enemies are made. You will not stand on your own righteousness against God's coming judgment and his coming victory. You will only stand if Christ is your righteousness, if you repent of your sins and trust in Christ for your salvation. But if you have done so, you recognize that Christ's righteousness is your righteousness. And that is the most important thing. That is the thing above all else that we can be thankful for, that we, the weak and unworthy sinners, have been delivered that we have received the imputed righteousness of Christ, his perfect law-keeping and atoning death. Because of this, even as God's enemies are destroyed, we will be delivered into life and blessing eternal. And so we respond, as we looked all the way back at the beginning, with praise, with thankfulness, with song to God for all the great things we have done. And So tonight, let us praise him. Let us thank him for all that he has done, not just in the blessings of this life, but in giving us the hope and blessing of the life to come. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your triumph, not only over your enemies, but through your son Jesus, his triumph over death and sin at the cross on our behalf. I pray that we all here gathered tonight would believe this gospel, that we would be faithful to proclaim it, and we thank you for the great hope of salvation we have. We thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you have given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.